0: We are continuing in our sermon series through Exodus, and um, last week and the week before, Mike did an excellent job, and Ryan listened to the sermons. Thank you guys. Uh, just I felt so peaceful leaving, knowing these guys were were taking the helm here and leading us through this idea of grumbling in the wilderness and the beauty of who God is, and the the fact that as believers we don't have to grumble and we could be set free from that bitterness. Uh, that we often kind of default towards. And Ryan leading us through the truth of the first four commandments of the 10. And I don't know if you noticed, but the, the commandments are broken up in kind of this vertical uh, relationship to God and this horizontal relationship to each other. And last week, Ryan helped us understand the first four, which are this this up and down relationship that we have toward God and God toward us. And we're gonna read through the rest today and see how the commandments affect our relationship with one another, but what I want to do as well, on top of that, is also for us to have this foundation or an understanding of the Ten Commandments period as Christians. Because a lot of what we understand the, the Ten Commandments are is kind of the same way that the rest of the world understands the Ten Commandments. Is this like general uh, Judeo-Christian ethic of how we should live our lives? And what what ends up happening is the Ten Commandments kind of becomes this template that we either feel like we're doing really well at Christianity, and how many of these that we can check off of our list, or either we feel like, man, I'm a terrible Christian because I'm not following all of these Ten Commandments. And our Christian faith is so much more than a checklist. See, that's every other religion in the world. Every other religion— and this is, not a, this is not a blanket, arrogant statement. This is just truth. Every other religion in the world is, not, is different to Christianity. Christianity is the only other, and I would put in quotes, religion that is based on grace and not merit and not on what we do. And so if that's true, then how do the Ten Commandments that we kind of understand them, how do they fit into our lives as Christians? Um, So I'm so glad you guys asked that question this morning. So that's what we're going to look at. If you have your Bibles, turn back to the the book of Exodus. And uh, we're going to read a little bit of a lengthy portion of Scripture here this morning. But we're just going to go through all the Ten Commandments again. And some of us, we all know like maybe two or three of them. Um, But we might be surprised to find that there's some other commandments in there that we weren't so familiar with. But we're going to look at all of them. So Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read 1 through 21. It'll be up on the screen here this morning. I'm reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. This is the word of the Lord. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and here we go. Verse three. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What does that mean, a jealous God? We don't often think of God as. God is jealous. We often think of jealousy as this negative or sinful thing. But when God says, I'm a jealous God, he's saying, I have the best for you in mind. I want to be your only God. I don't want you to worship other gods and I'm jealous for you in the sense of I know what's best for you. Not because I'm insecure. Not because, like, you, I saw you looking at that boyfriend over there, and I'm going to get all in a huff. It's No, it's because I love you so much, and I want the best for you. Deter your eyes from anything else that would catch the glimmer of your heart. And so God says, I'm a jealous God. Um, you shall now bow, verse 5 you shall now bow down to them and assure them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7 you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is with you in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now that was the first four commandments. Now we're those were all the vertical understandings of this relationship between us and God. Now we, we, God gives us these six other commandments that help us understand this horizontal relationship that we have with one another. And it says this, Honor your father and your mother that your day, days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And all the parents in here said, Amen. Right? Isn't that right? Too bad our kids left. Should we just bring them back in real quick just to read that? All your parents would appreciate that. Uh, verse 13: You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything. That is in your neighbor, that, that is your neighbor's. Verse 18, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. Yeah, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin." The people stood far off while Mo- Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's, let's pray this morning. God, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the fact that you don't just let us do whatever we want, that you love us so much just like a good parent that you lead and you guide and you, you tell us things that will do harm to us and you call us into areas that will bring us fruitfulness and life. And I pray for our hearts this morning where maybe we're given over to these things where we see these Ten Commandments and our heart desires or delights in the things that are opposite of that. God, will you help us to surrender those areas of our lives? Or maybe we don't understand these Ten Commandments and we look at them as like this long list of checklists, Lord God, and we feel good about ourselves when we, when we fulfill them, or we feel bad about ourselves when we feel powerless to fulfill them. God, will you help us understand our faith this morning? And if we're somewhere in between, um, God, will you meet us where we're at? I thank you, God, that you see us. There's not one of us here this morning that you don't see, that you don't know intimately that you're aware of every situation in our lives. And because of that, you love us and you're leading and guiding us. So help us this morning to know your word, to adjust our hearts to your word, and to trust you where you've called us to trust you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've already said the first four about this relationship between us and God, and the last six are about this relationship between each other. Let's just recap. Look at the first one here. It's honor your father and mother. Now, some of these seem like, well, duh. Like, God, why do you have to like, tell us these things? Well, believe it or not, you and I have had the privilege of sitting under this truth for thousands of years. And the culture of this truth has disseminated, disseminated into the whole world. Um, there's not probably almost, this is a bit of an exaggeration, but there's probably not many places in the world that you could go that don't have this kind of culture where it tells you, like, don't kill someone. I mean, we all kind of go, God, did you really need to put that in there? Thou shalt not murder. We all think, like, duh. But see, before Israel had these commandments, they were living under a total different system. They had come out of this understanding of living among a people who, where thou shalt not murder wasn't a thing for them. Actually, it was the opposite. Their king told them to just throw the firstborn baby of the Israelites into the river. This wasn't an issue for them. And so when God comes along and he brings this idea of thou shalt not murder, it has to make us ask the question of why? Because you and I are living in this culture already. We already understand it. But if you understand from where they're coming from, this was new. This was like novel for them. Thou shalt not murder. Really? Thou shalt not murder? Why? Because... There's value in a human. There's, we've been created in God's image. And to take another person's life is to, is to deconstruct, is to go against the ways of who God is in very self. And so these aren't just like obvious things. Thou shalt not murder. What's the other one? Uh, you shall not commit adultery. We would all say, yes, absolutely. Our day and age is kind of getting away from that. It's not a big deal anymore, right? Thou shalt not steal. You shouldn't lie, you shouldn't bear fall, false witness. And this one kind of sums up all of these things for us. You shall not covet. What's that mean? To lust after something someone else has. To desire that is, is. You know who's, who has turned this into a marketing scheme, an absolute genius way of marketing products is Apple. Apple, nobody does it better than Apple. I'm an Apple guy. I got an iPhone, I got an iMac at home, I got a ProBook, I I got an iWatch. I mean, I got, I'm like, I'm the poster boy for Apple. And if you have a Samsung, sorry, you know? You're just not as cool, all right? Um, But doesn't Apple just have a way of like making you feel bad about what you just bought? I mean, you go out and you buy the latest thing, and then it, it promises to radically change your life. You're going to be the most efficient, most competent, most proficient person on the face of the earth because you bought an Apple Watch. And then what happens? Six months later, they say, oh, by the way, that thing that just changed your life, it's actually irrelevant now. And now you got to get the new one because this new one now, it will, like... I don't know, what will it do? It'll, it'll, really, yeah. And so we give into this covetousness of everything. It's like, I need that, I want that, I see that, I got to get the next thing. And it's this, it, it, it perverts our relationship to one another. See, God didn't give us these commands just for them to be this checklist to follow. But he did give us these commands to help us understand a couple things. And I'm going to point this out. So what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments for us as Christians? I'm so glad you asked. Well, it's what we've been talking about here. Number one is that one of the purposes of the the Ten Commandments is it helps us understand our relationship to God and it helps us understand our relationship to one another. We've seen that with the first four and the last six, our relationship to God. It sorts it out. And um, Jesus even summed this up in the commandments. He says this in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they were gathered. Now, if you don't know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were kind of like the Republicans and the Democrats. And so... Uh, whichever one you want to say got silenced. If you're a Republican, you're like, yeah, give it to those Democrats, whatever. It's like, that's kind of what he was doing here. And so the Pharisees were really excited about that, but they still wanted to test Jesus. And one of them, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the great commandment. first commandment. Second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus sums up the Ten Commandments right here. They're trying to trick him, and he says, yes, you've heard this, you've heard this. Let me just sum it up. Love God with all of who you are, and in the same way that you love God, you should love one another. Mic drop, I'm out, right? So the, the Ten Commandments help us understand our relationship to God and relationship. With, what else do they do? They help us to flourish in freedom and protection. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me give you a little example. You ever seen The Little Mermaid? Who hasn't seen The Little Mermaid? If you haven't seen The Little Mermaid, you've been living in a cave probably for the past ten years. But if you haven't seen The Little Mermaid, and some of you tough guys out there, you, this might be your favorite movie. Uh, but there's a moment in the movie. And every girl in here could probably sing it. Where she's in her cave, she sneaks off, and she has this desire in her heart for this otherness. And what she does is she collects all these trinkets of the world up above the water. And she just can't contain it anymore. So she starts to sing this song, right? Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? <laughs> See, okay, all right. You You've all have seen it. She talks about all these things, and we applaud this movie. We go, well done, Ariel. But what we don't understand is, man, she connives. She, she gives in to divination. She, she seeks the, the counsel of a witch to get her way. She transforms. She, she, uh, she deceives her father and her siblings and all of the kingdom, And we applaud and go, well done, Ariel, you made it through. But what it is, it's really a lesson for us because she doesn't understand who she is and what she's made to thrive in. She's a mermaid. She's got gills. She doesn't breathe air. She's meant to thrive in the ocean. And then Sebastian, the little crab, he says, man, look at this, like, I don't know what he says, but. (laughs) He says, the the ocean is beta, right? <laughs> Down where it's weta, under the sea, right? And he's trying to say, listen, you're not made for that world. You're made for this world. This is where you you will thrive naturally. And God gives us these ten commandments, and He says, I'm not trying to be this mean ogre God and give you all these rules. And all these regulations so that Christianity is boring and terrible. And oh my gosh, I'm not allowed to do this because I'm a Christian. That's every other religion. Well, I can't drink caffeine because I'm a Mormon. Or I I can't do this because I'm that. It's like, no, 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 no. God gives us these Ten Commandments to flourish in. Because this is who we are. Remember, he says he's a jealous God. You know, there was this study done with kids on a playground. And they did two Kind of, I don't know what you call them, t- uh, petri dishes, so to speak. And what they did is they, in this petri dish, they put these kids on a playground that didn't have a fence. And on this side, what they did is they put these kids on, on a playground that had a confinement. And what they found is the kids on the, on the uh, playground that did not have a fence, what they did is they all gravitated toward the center of the playground, afraid to go out on the boundaries because of there was a road. And on this side, what happened is the area that had a fence, what they found was the kids felt safe. And what they did is they explored the whole area. They didn't just confine themselves just to the center of the playground. And for us, God is saying, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt do this. Not because he's like, I want you to just suffer in this Christianity because I want you to explore all of the freedom that I've given you, and I love you so much that I'm gonna put boundaries around this area because if you step out of that, you're like the little mermaid. You have gills, you can't breathe up there. That wasn't meant for you. What else does the law, man, you guys, I'm running out of time, what are you doing to me? What else does the law help us with? It points out our need. See, before the Ten Commandments, these people didn't even know that some of these things were wrong. God would, yes, break into, like, Abraham's world or Noah's world or uh, Israel, and he would come every once in a while and say, hey, I want you to do this and this. But they didn't have this way of life. And so without this, sometimes we wouldn't uh, I went to the doctor a couple weeks ago. Something was wrong with my eye. I didn't know. I woke up in the morning, and it felt like there was an eyelash— like, if I'm looking at, like, here's my eyeball. It felt like it was behind my eyeball in the socket. I just couldn't, I was like, could not get it out. And I, you know, finally, I look at Marianne, and I go, I, you know, pull the whole thing up. And I said, babe, just look in there. And she goes, ooh. And I'm like, what's the matter? She goes, there's like this big, big old giant bump behind your eye. And I'm like, ooh, Okay that's bad. So then I'm like, well, Marianne doesn't know, right? Let me go ask somebody else. (laughs) So I asked somebody else, Ooh, that doesn't look right. So what do I do that evening? I call up the doctor, go see it. And apparently I'm so fat, I have fat in my eyeballs. (laughs) And the doctor said, oh, the fat in your eyes is just agitated. Thank you. She said there's probably like a little infection in there and it's you know swelling up so it feels a certain way. But I wouldn't have known that I was so fat that I was fat in my eyes unless there was something agitating me letting me know something was off. And the 10 commandments are God's grace to us to let us know when we burn ourselves it hurts why? Because we shouldn't do that. There's pain, there's there's this contrast and the Ten Commandments help us see this is right, this is wrong. If, if God didn't give us a law, we wouldn't know. We'd all just kind of do our own thing. So it's God's means of grace to us. It's not something to fight against. All right, moving on. Here's the problem with the law. Let me give us a couple things here. I think one of the biggest problems with the Ten Commandments that you and I face is that we misunderstand them and I've alluded to this already, but what we do is we view the Ten Commandments as a, as a checklist. Now, I've said this before over and over from here, but I when I have a particularly good moral week, I feel so good about myself. I, still, I feel so good about my relationship with God when I've done well this week. I can look back at my track history and go, man, I am just an amazing Ten Commandments fulfiller. How can I post this on Instagram somehow? I know, I'll take a picture of my Bible open with a pen and some coffee, hashtag blessed, you know, this kind of stuff. Look how good I'm doing. When I've had a particularly not great of a moral week, I approach God differently. I kind of feel like he's angry with me. I kind of feel like, man, who am I that I should like Go before God boldly and even like pray to him he probably doesn't he's like I don't even want to look at your face kind of a thing you, you know who you are you know what you did and that's because I don't understand this thing correctly in my heart I know it up here but sometimes for it to go here to here is a long journey and I don't view the 10 commandments correctly I view it as God is more happy with me when I do all these things right and I think that's the way of the world You know how it's, you know it's the way of the world? Ask somebody if they're a Christian, if you know they're not. And they'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you know how they justify it? I'm a good person. I do good things. I don't steal, cuss, or chew, or hang out with girls that do, you know? I don't do any of that stuff. I'm a good person. And they view their, merit or their standing with God based on how well or how unwell they kind of fulfill these Ten Commandments. And that junk has infiltrated the church. That's not what we're called to believe. That's not not what the Ten Commandments are for. And that's a problem that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to root out of our hearts. The other problem with the Ten Commandments is that it's Powerless, the law of God, speaking of the Ten Commandments, is powerless to help us fulfill it. Case in point, I'm going to actually ask you to do this. Anybody, raise your hand if you have never sinned in your life. Nobody nobody raises their hand. Why? Because we can't do it. See, when we base the Ten Commandments, fulfilling them or not, on our own strength, we fail miserably every time. We can't do it. And you know what the law does? You know what the Ten Commandments actually do? They just stand there silently and they're like this, pointing the finger. And we walk up to them and go, I fulfilled everything you asked me to do. And it doesn't even respond, it just goes, I had a really bad week, will you help me? It's powerless. It's powerless. Doesn't help us fulfill it. Romans 7, 8 through 11 says this. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me, this is Paul speaking, all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Man, Paul, what are you trying to say? The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and, the, and through it killed me. Paul, what are you trying to say about the lie? Are you trying to say it's a bad thing? No, all he's saying is, listen, if you're trying to put your hope in fulfilling this thing, all it's going to do is point out over and again where you don't measure up. I know what you did this week. I know that thought that you had. I know that thing you looked at. I know that thing you listened to, that thing that you said. Boom. It doesn't help us. The other problem with the law is sometimes we might be on the other side of it and we think, Oh, well, now we're in Jesus. Jesus has come. I don't need the law anymore. I'm under grace. Grace, what grace does now is it actually makes that I don't have to completely fulfill the law anymore. Well, let me tell you something, lest you think that. This is what Jesus said about that mentality. Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 22 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Not one little part of it. Therefore, whoever relaxes, One of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What's Jesus doing here? He's saying, listen, it's impossible. I'm going to point you in another way. We're going to see it in a moment. But then he goes on and he says this in verse 21. You've heard it said to those of old, so... God comes, he gives the Ten Commandments to Israel. This is those of old. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. What? What? He continues on verses 27 through 28. You heard it, it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust, lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Man, that's hardcore. Jesus, what are you saying? I mean, before, I, all I had to do was this, this moral like checklist, and I could get away with it. And I knew it was in my heart, but God wasn't looking at my heart. And now Jesus comes along under grace, and he says, not only do you need to fulfill the law, but it's not just fulfilling it, it's fulfilling it in your heart. So if you looked at somebody, if you're angry with somebody, you know what anger is? It's murder in your heart. You know what lust is? It's adultery in your heart. God's not satisfied with the outside external things that we do to try to please him and make ourselves feel better. I'm doing all these jumping jacks, and God's going to be pleased because I'm doing the Christian exercise. He says, no, what I'm more concerned about is what's going on on the inside, and grace now demands all of who we are, not just a fulfillment. Now, if we leave it right there, man, this is like some bad news this morning. We're caught between uh, a rock and a, a stone tablet in a hard place. But um, bumps. If you don't know, stone tab- the Ten Commandments were written on stone tablet. We're ca- it's like, what do you do? On one end, you're telling me, the Ten Commandments are good, but you know, you can't fulfill them. nobody can. From, from the beginning of man, no one has done it. Only one person has? Aha, aha. And then on the other side, you're telling me, you know, like, well, I'm not going to be able to fulfill it, but it's more than just fulfilling the Ten Commandments. It's actually what's in my heart. How do I walk this thing called Christianity? How am I going to do this if it's like I can't do either one? Well, that's such a great question. You guys are asking all the right questions this morning. There is a pathway forward. Number one, we should understand the law for what it is. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 through 24. It says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was what is our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. So what Paul's saying here is, let's rightly understand what the law is and what it's not. He's saying what the law is, it's like a guardian. And this language of guardian is like, um, let's say there's a young child who inher- inherits a, uh, this huge tens of millions of dollars, but is not of the age to be able to like, facilitate this kind of money, Right? What, what will end up happening is someone will be appointed for this child as a guardian of the estate until this child can come of age to be able to rightly use this funds the way they're supposed to. That guardian is not their father, not their mother, but it's a guardian, and it's somebody who cannot uh, like empower them to use this, but all it does is help them point them, this is the right way, oh, no, 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 you're not allowed to do this with your money, like I know you want to go buy a thousand Xboxes, but you're only 16, you don't understand what this million dollars is for, it's not for Xbox, it's for you're going to go to college, you know, you're going to set up all these retirement funds. And the guardian helps them see this is right and wrong. And that's all the guardian does. And that's what one of the reasons for the law is. And that's rightly understanding it. But if we're still caught in this hard place, how do we get from where we are to where we're, where, where we're going? Look at Jeremiah 31. 31 through 33. I love the scripture. let, Let me just, before we read this, can you say, God, will you do this work in me? God, do this work in us. This is what it says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. We're living in that now, declares the Lord. Here it is. I will put my law within them, and I'll write it where? On their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know why I love this? Because where the law is fruitless, the Bible says, where the law is powerless to help us fulfill it, God in His grace comes and says, I I see that. I see your struggle. I understand it. Um, I understand it so much that I sent my only son so that it wouldn't become this external fulfillment of religion and all based on what you can and can't do. I understand that you can't do it. I'm not going to let up on whether you should fulfill it or not. I'm not going to like say, well, because you can't do it, all right, let's, let's change the laws a little bit. I'm going to be who I am. I'll always be who I am. I'm a holy God and I'm true and I'm, I'm always going to stay true to myself. But I know that you can't do it. And so because I love you so much and I want you to be able to fulfill this, I'm going to, be able to, I'm going to change it from you trying to do it all on your own, and what I'm going to do is through my son Jesus, I'm going to make a way for it to go from here to here. I'm going to make a way for it, you just, man, I had a morally bad week or a morally good week, and you feeling good or bad about that. I'm going to make a way that when you want to approach God, that every time he's going to look at you, he's going to be, with this giant smile on his face, happy to see you every single time. Why? No, not because you were so good at fulfilling it, but because there was one who fulfilled it completely on your behalf when I knew you couldn't, and I sent him, and all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I accept it. I acknowledge I can't do this. I acknowledge you gave it to me for my, for my freedom, for me to flourish. I acknowledge that you, you gave it for me, to me so that I would be who I'm supposed to be because you're a jealous God. You don't want me to be giving my, my attention to those shiny things that the world says. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? But still there's something else inside me that's not complete in there. And so I'm longing for something else. I thank you, God, that you've given me the freedom that I don't have to long for that. I can flourish with where you created me to be. And that's in your son, Jesus Christ. And my call to you, my challenge to you this morning is, do you rightly understand this law that's been given to us? Christians, those of us who call ourselves Christians, or have you been living a religious life? Have you been trying to fulfill these things, only to no avail, to feel frustrated, or like, man, I'm such a terrible person? Or maybe there's arrogance in your heart, and you said, look how good I did; I'm such a good person. Both are fruits of religion. You know what the only fruit of the law is? It's frustration or arrogance. But the fruit of the spirit, reading Galatians, is what: patience, peace, joy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Evidences that we're living with the law written on our hearts, not in our heads. Or maybe maybe you're not a Christian this morning. Maybe you've never really accepted that you can't do it on your own, but you feel like you're a good person because most of the time you fulfill these commandments. And if God were to stand before you, if there is a God, and he would come and he would weigh up your good and your bad, he would go, wow, not bad. You've done pretty good. I think, uh, Peter, should we let him in? Yeah, let's let him in. And you misunderstand Christianity because there's nothing you can do, zero, that counts for righteousness. The problem is that if you've messed up one of these, you've messed up all of them. Have you ever coveted? Have you ever desired something you're not supposed to desire? We're all guilty of it. But the good news is there's freedom to be found in Jesus this morning because he fulfilled it for you. Will you stand with me this morning?